and welcome to the first episode of Season 2 of Making It to the Mic. I'm your host, Stephanie Pam Roberts, and this season, we're switching gears a little bit and interviewing folks behind the mic. I'm so excited to kick things off with my guest today, expert audio engineer Frank Verderosa. Frank is a seasoned pro who has worked in this business for 30 years on many different types of projects. During the pandemic, he decided to offer low-cost consultations to help voice actors with their home studios. This episode is jam-packed with info about all things audio. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Frank Verderosa. Well, hello, Frank. How are you tonight? I'm okay. Hanging in there. Did you have a long work day today? Pretty long. Is every day a long work day for you? <laughs> every day is a long work day. Every day I'm doing my digital art shift from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m.-ish. Uh, and then I kind of shift into night gear from 9 to midnight most nights. But I give myself breaks here and there because I'm also working on audiobooks and demo reels and other stuff that need to be uh, handled also at night. So I'm constantly juggling. That's amazing. You are a busy, busy man. So I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join me tonight. So I'd love to start by asking you to just kind of tell us about you. Tell us about your journey. How did you make it to where you are behind the mic as an engineer? Gosh, I mean, I fell in love with audio in high school. I was the nerd that, you know, we took over my parents' garage. You know, my big brother was a drummer who was getting into electronic stuff. And I had a cassette four track and my guitar and my effects pedals and I got a synthesizer and a drum machine and then all the neighbor kids would come over and make tunes and uh, and then I decided to go to college for it. So I went to uh, SUNY Fredonia in New York and um, got my degree and hit the ground running. I started out doing album work uh, and quickly pivoted because I just sort of burned out on hip hop, which was most of what I was doing and uh, shifted over to post-production, and I've been doing that ever since. So I feel like the meat of why you're here is to talk about the elusive home studio. It is obviously an important uh, topic these days. It is an essential part of being a voice actor these days. And so I would, I would love to get your uh, answer to the question that I always get asked, and I'm sure you do too, which is, how do I build a home studio? What do I need? What do I do? And I know my answer is always, uh, well, I'm not sure because I have no idea what your space is. And so I always kind of tell people to start with the space, but I'm curious how you answer the question. Yeah, similarly, because there are, there's different factors, right? And I always try to manage expectations because I consult with people one-on-one -on -one to help them with their space and we do it all virtually. So, you know, there's a difference between, you know, a soundproof home studio or, you know, a broadcast quality space to work out of. So the home studio could be everything from a custom built room that's acoustically perfect and no noise gets in and there's airflow and everything is great to a studio bricks booth where it's all prefab and it's decent. It's not the be all end all, but it's okay. It'll get you, get you there uh, to a closet conversion, right? Which we've seen a lot of. And a closet conversion generally is not a soundproof room, but the other big factor is where do you live? If you're in a house way up in the middle of nowhere and we're going to acoustically treat a three by five closet, you're effectively in as good a shape as a studio bricks booth, if, especially if it's in an interior of your house, right? It's going to be really quiet. If you're in midtown Manhattan and you've got a tiny closet to convert, 
that's another story. So I always sort of tell people when I do booth consults, like just to manage expectations, you're not, the goal isn't to be a soundproof booth. Your goal, at least when lockdown started, was to have a dead enough space to record and get through it. Over a year into all this, that's kind of not cutting it. I just had another meeting with uh, an ad agency today about a new job and producers are kind of done with the pausing for the the kids yelling or the dog barking stuff. Like they're definitely gravitating toward people with soundproof booths and proper, you know, really high-end setups, which is the minority of voice actors out there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just they're different grades of what works. The good news is studios are open. So if you book a job through a studio, you don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Things are kind of getting back to normal, which is great. Yeah. Do you think we'll shift back to more in-person auditions and sessions again? I can't speak for everybody. I know for me, there's no point. Now that everybody's set up at home so much better than they were, um, there's really no point in doing in-person VO auditions. It's lovely. It's social. I miss seeing everybody. You know, every casting director has their own flow. Some places just do, you just self-tape and submit and they sift through the pile. I do only directed casting. So I'm still seeing the actors. We're on Zoom and these days I'm also on Source Connect because I've had too many people say they've got it. They book the job and then they don't have it and that's problematic. So now I do it. I do. I see less people. It's more targeted. The client gets a curated batch of actors uh, that we are, you know, we've tested them in the audition process and we know they're ready. So I don't see a need to go back to in-person. It's a bummer that the actors don't get to hang out face-to-face and sessions are already happening. We've been doing in-person sessions where I should say uh, the actors have been at our booths for a long time. As soon as New York City started to open up, actors have been coming back in. Uh, but with lots of safety protocol, right? You know, for the longest time, it's been one actor per booth per day. So as soon as an actor uses a booth for a few hours, that booth is done, it's cleaned, everything's wiped down and sterilized, and no one's allowed in there for another day. So that's kind of how we hold. So actors are in, but the clients are still home. I'm still home. That's going to change. I don't think anyone's in a big rush to get back in. But um, but I do see where certain clients are going to want to be there. And certainly ADR for feature film work, which is a, a part of what I do. We've been getting by with Zoom or, you know, animation. We're able to do that, this phase of it. But when the actors have to start coming in and lip sync really matters, we're going to need eyes on the proper monitors at the studio. So I'm sure there'll be a hybrid for me. I don't plan on ever going back full time every day. There's no need. My home studio is pretty much as good as any room I've ever worked in at this point. I'm set up for surround. Um, I got all the gear. There's really no need for me to rush back in. That's that's really interesting. I think for me too, the voiceover auditions, I do miss seeing other people, but I don't miss a 30-second audition being a four-hour affair, you know, to the commute and coming back and you know, by the time you like get there, you're already exhausted. And then you pick up the copy and then they're like, Stephanie. And you're like, oh, God. And then you go in and you do it. And they're like, thank you. I'm like, yeah, OK, thank you. Yeah. So I, I've, I've enjoyed having the auditions be more on my terms. But, you know, I miss the cheese plates of the sessions and like the, <laughs> you know, the like, hey, you want a candy bar? Sure. So, you know, that kind of uh, camaraderie and, and, you know, kind of excitement of being in a session. I do miss that. 
Yeah, you know, and I've I've tried to replicate it as best I can. So these days when people work with me and my clients, the clients are on Zoom. You can see them all. Um, they can see you if you choose to let them to. Sometimes people smile and wave and then put the turn the camera off for the rest of the session, whatever people are comfortable with. Um, I have it set up so where I have a virtual talkback button. So it's like we're at the studio and the clients want to speak. You know, the mic is open is when I hit stop. As soon as I roll, everybody's muted, just like it would be at the studio. So you're not distracted. You know, we've we've done, you know, I really, I hit the ground running with my rig to to get that, you know, transition happening very early on in lockdown. And, um, you know, when the clients feel that they're ready to come back in, I will be there uh, if they need me to be there. But so far, nobody's rushing to get back. Uh, and it doesn't mean like studios are gone. I mean, like we're digital arts where I work full time. We're booked, you know, most days everybody's booked all day on something. Uh, and it's a mixture of people there and not. So we have a, a theater where we mix films and there are film mixers coming in to use that. They're in this giant room by themselves all day. Uh, and we have a couple of our mixers that are in Manhattan that show up and work there, you know, if needed. Uh, and some of our guys are still 100% remote. So, you know, ebbs and flows. But on the whole, the company is busy. We just don't need to all be at the space all the time. Right. So for those people who don't know, can you explain what Source Connect is? Oh, sure. Well, so right now you and I are talking on Source Connect Now, which is a free version of Source Connect that works through a web browser. So I send you a link, you join. We're hearing each other. We're able to talk with no lag and uh, do an interview. Uh, and it works for sessions too. Source Connect standard is sort of the uh, the industry you know recommendation. It's the same kind of thing, but it's proprietary. It's a direct connection from you to the studio and the studio to you. And uh, there's a little bit of latency baked into it because it's got all this buffering to help the sound. And it, it is a better audio spec than what we're talking on now, but most people aren't going to hear the difference. And um, that one has a fee associated with it. So it, you could either own it outright or pay monthly and, you know, or pay when needed for that. So that's a handy tool. It's really saved all of us. Uh, it's been how we've been connecting for most of lockdown and it's great. And it sort of allows you, the voice actor, to be as if you were in the studio because you don't control the session. Uh, I don't control the session when it's on Source Connect. The engineer does. I just come in as if I'm walking into a studio and I talk and you do everything on your end. And when the session's over, I leave and I don't have to send anything unless they want to uh, back up. But, you know, Source Connect has been so great because it, it does give a little normalcy and does feel like, well, I'm going to work today and I don't have to worry about turning on my tech brain and my actor brain at the same time. Exactly. You you get to just stand and act. And I know uh, before you mentioned um, a broadcast quality home studio. So what does that mean? I feel like that's such a buzzword now. It's in everyone's agent auditions or casting director or it's thrown around in Facebook groups. And I feel like for, for people who are newer to the industry, what exactly does that mean? To me, that means a good enough signal that it's usable for air, right? And it doesn't mean it's got to be soundproof, in my opinion. It doesn't mean it needs to be a $3,000 mic. It just needs to be robust enough to work. You know, prior to COVID, before we even thought about COVID, I've been having conversations with other casting directors and saying, you know, people are shooting themselves in the foot when they self-tape and they don't come in for the audition because their home setups are awful. People are just plugging in a USB mic in their kitchen or their living room and 
giving takes, but they're at such a disadvantage because people are showing up to the studio and they're talking into a Neumann in a soundproof room and it's a, you know, night and day difference. And I think whether clients would admit it or not, that factors into the decision-making to some degree, right? And that's pre-COVID. So I, I had said, you know, I think I'd like to start teaching voice actors how to, you know, up their home game and increase their chances of booking for these self-tapes because it's really a, it's a disaster out there for most people. Uh, and you got to understand, too, the people I'm talking about are the union actors that traditionally just show up to sessions. They don't have to have a home studio. That They're just booked on the big campaigns and they show up and work. So then COVID hit <laughs> and I said, okay, I guess I'm doing this. Uh, and I started very quickly offering, you know, webinars on what it takes and it doesn't take a lot. You know, it means pushing aside the really cheap USB mic uh, and getting something a little bit more robust, which could be a couple hundred bucks. You could have an amazing mic for a couple hundred bucks, but it means also finding a place that's going to be quiet and treating it acoustically to compete. So with studios being open, it's less of a concern now. Uh, any job I, I cast now, uh, I've got a couple big ones coming up this week. I always say like, look, if your home setup's no good, or if I'm hearing issues with it, are you willing to come in? And, and people generally are. And if they're not, or if they're out of state at the moment and the setup's no good, I just can't submit them to the job. It's just, you know, it's not going to work. So it has, has to be quiet enough. People get obsessed about specs and noise floor and has to be minus this and minus that. Bottom line is, do you hear noise or not? If I hear an air conditioner, that's problematic. You know, I can remove a certain amount of background noise. If I hear a cavernous echo on your voice because you're in a giant space, that's problematic. So broadcast ready, it just needs to be tight enough, quiet enough, and a, and a good mic for you, you know, with a good interface. And that's really all it takes. When I lived in Astoria, I had to turn my fridge off because I could hear it in recordings. Uh, and I had notes everywhere. Turn yeah. the fridge on, turn the fridge on, turn the fridge on. Because I forgot several times. And, you know, for a few hours or whatever, it was fine. You know, the door was closed. But um, <laughs> yes. but there were uh, a number of times where my husband would come home and be like, uh, you forgot to turn the fridge on. How much food did we lose for that session? Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I made $200, but I also lost $200 of chicken, so. Exactly, yeah. So do you have a list of mics that you kind of always come back to? I know, again, it's different for every space and every voice, but is there are there ones that you kind of keep recommending, uh, you know, to different people? Yeah, I mean, I have my go-tos. I have a, you know, a list I'll tend to send out, and there's stuff on my website to kind of break it down. I even did a little mic shootout. It really depends on your budget and your space, so... People in tighter closets, shotgun mics work better, right? So a 416 is the $1,000 Sennheiser. That's a great mic. That's what you see at a lot of studios and on film sets and the rest. But the company called Cinco makes a D2, which is $249, sometimes less, very close uh, structurally and sonically to the 416. And that's a good alternative. I'll also recommend those mics to actors that do a lot of uh, video self-tapes for on-camera, because that allows them to set up their camera and have that mic do what it's designed to do, which is pick you up from a bit of a distance, hmm. and you can have it just out of frame and self-tape. So that's a that's an automatic for those folks. Um, but then there's like, for $199, there's a Stellar X2, which is a beautiful sounding mic, you know, large diaphragm condenser mic, which is the sound you want for VO. I'm talking to you now on a Rode NT1A. They sell for $229, comes with a 
cable, a shock mount, and a built-in pop filter, all that good stuff. Uh, and then you can work your way on up. You know, some people might get these mics and say, yeah, it was good, but I had a good year. I'm going to treat myself to a TLM 102 or TLM 103 from Neumann. You know, then, you, then you're getting into five, six dollars $700 to $1,000 microphone. It really just depends. Um, but I think if you're, you know, if your budget allows for it, sure, make yourself happy. I don't think most people that are going to be seeing you on Zoom are savvy enough to know that you're not on a Neumann. They're just going to see the large mic and go, oh, nice. You know, right. uh, the engineer might know. There are certain mics when I hear an actor tell me what they're on, I cringe a little and go, okay. What are those mics? I am not a fan of, of lower end USB mics. Uh, so a lot of the Apogees don't float my boat. The Blue Yeti doesn't do it for me. There's always exceptions. You know, there have been people who've booked me for consults to check their sound and they prove me wrong. Sometimes they have such a great sounding booth or such an amazing voice that the Blue Yeti can work for them. You know, user error is a big part of it too. I, I think I've been really hard on the Blue Yeti. I don't love it, but I think it's because 90% of the people that have had them generally are using it wrong, either talking into the wrong end or have it on a weird angle or a poor booth or you know any number of those things. So that's really where the problem tends to lie. But yeah, when, you know, you, I'll, I'll hear right away, you know, and it's often too late to do anything. If I didn't cast the person and, you know, the, the agency says, oh, we're dialing so-and-so at this time and we'll connect a little early to do a test, but it's it's moot because it's too late to do anything, right. you know? Uh, it's like not like you're going to go buy a new mic before the session, but we get it done. You know, I've got a pretty big bag of tricks to fix sound, you know, get it where I need it to be. Yeah. I'm sure you've become an expert at that during this crazy time. Yeah. Well, somebody has yet to invent something to detangle comb filtering uh, in microphones, which is that sound you get when your mic is too close to a wall or in too tight a space. So the effect you get sort of sounds like this. You get that sort of mm. really cramped booth sound, and there's no way to undo that for all the tools we have. And most of my engineer friends are, you know, banging their head against the wall. Sometimes I'll tell people, your closet's too small. I'd rather remove the reverb and background noise. Just go ahead and take your mic out of the closet. Let's get mm. this thing done, you know. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, for for so many voice actors, this is the stuff that, you know, raises blood pressures and makes everybody really nervous. So for, you know, the people who have no idea, what is the difference between a shotgun mic like the Sennheiser and the TLM 102 a large diaphragm condenser? Yeah, so typically those large diaphragm condensers have this cardioid pattern. You know, they call it that because it's shaped like a heart, but it's almost more like a lollipop shape. It's it's a pretty wide pickup pattern, and it's very sensitive. You know, uh, people will joke you can hear a flea fart on a on an ant on a mouse across the room. You know, that kind of, it's like they're really sensitive from two doors down, but they're supposed to be. That's what's picking up all the beauty of your voice, right? The 416s have what they call a hypercardioid pattern. So it's a much narrower cone out the front of it, uh, really designed for being on a boom pole uh, on a film set, TV, and all that stuff. So it rejects background noise a bit better. So that's the big difference in those two styles of mic. So when people are in a tight space, or a really great example for me is early in lockdown, I stopped letting actors come to my house to record because the numbers were just getting out of control. So there have been a number of actors recorded from their car in my driveway. Oh my gosh. So I would bring a 416 out and a pair of headphones, 
run the cables into my home studio and uh, they would just sit in the comfort of their car and do their commercials. And it sounded good. That's resourceful. Yeah. Yeah. It worked a lot. Um, some pretty big spots. and um, But placement was everything. Uh, this goes for cars. This goes for booths. It's a game of inches, right? An inch this way or that, too close, too far, too off to the side, the sound can be terrible. So it really like proper placement is everything. That goes for pretty much every mic, but uh, but the 416 or the shotgun mic in general works well in those tighter spaces. It kind of helps lessen the comb filtering effect and, and just focus on the sound straight out of the actor's mouth. My husband is a sound engineer um, for live theater. When we built my first booth in Astoria, he actually brought home a bunch of mics that he had at the shop. And one of them was the um, Neumann U87. And we plugged it in and I was like, ah, sounds terrible because it just wasn't the space for that microphone. We could hear the dogs barking. We could hear the fridge and all sorts of other things. And, um, and it was really interesting to just switch out and just try different mics in the booth and see what finally kind of sounded like, oh, I sound good and the space sounds good. And I think that's kind of the, the sweet spot of figuring that out. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and a U87, it's it's a beautiful mic and there are pros and cons. Uh, but, the, you know, it's a $3,000 mic, $3,200 for a U87 AI currently. And that's a lot to drop down on a mic that isn't going to benefit you. First of all, there's features of those mics that you're never going to use as a voice actor, changing the polar patterns and using the pad and then the roll off. Like those are things you may never actually need to use. So you're paying a lot for these things. You know, I always joke and say, it's great if you're recording orchestras on the side, but you know, <laughs> but for VO, maybe not so much. Um, and I think you get into the mechanics of the mics too. When you're buying a mic that's that much money, they're machined a certain way. The consistency microphone to microphone is pretty incredible. Uh, so that if you're in a booth in New York and you use an 87, then you're traveling and you're in California and we need to do a pickup on a few lines, it's probably going to match reasonably well studio to studio. Theoretically, that won't be the case with a, a Rode NT1A or some of those cheaper mics because they're, you know, mass produced in a different way. But I don't know. I haven't really seen that yet. Uh, and the other thing is, is a bit of a who cares because it's just you in your booth with your voice. Uh, it's always going to match <laughs> for you. And I'll tell you, too, even from my own experience, I, I was on a podcast a while ago and we recorded at the studio on 416s. And then I came home and I was editing it for the host just to kind of clean it up before I gave her the files. And uh, I didn't like the way I said something. So I did a pickup with the, I didn't, at the time, I didn't have a 416 here. And I just used my NT1A and it matched in beautifully sonically hmm. to, to the 416. It's like, oh, that's pretty seamless. So um, it's a whole can of worms. You get into the mind games of microphones. I put up that test on my website comparing the Neumann U87, the Sennheiser 416, the Rode NT1A, Mojave MA50, and the Stellar X2, and a $99 Rode Pod mic. And all I did was match levels and put it all up there and said, you guys tell me which one's 3000 and which one's 99 And pretty much nobody was able to guess. Oh, man, I feel like I never do well on those types of sound tests. I just don't have the trained ears to hear those subtle differences that you hear. Yeah. That's why we leave it to you guys as the experts. So if people don't have a spare closet to convert into a booth or the closet is not the right fit, literally, um, what's the next best option? Well, you know, again, it boils down to the space you've got. And I've problem solved with people. Uh, so, you know, early on, one of the fun tricks was the cabana booth, right? You can get a frame of, of various 
types. There's the PVC pipe cut up frames where you can then wrap them in producer's choice blankets and deaden the sound that way. Or you can get a collapsible beach cabana booth, um, which is like a four by four structure that's, you know, meant to be a changing room at the beach. And you can just line it with moving blankets or producer's choice blankets. Same thing, just a lot cheaper. Vocal Booths to Go makes a similar thing, but it's, you know, it's the same exact concept. Uh, It's a little more sturdier frame uh, and they pre-cut the materials to fit just so, so it looks a little neater. Uh, a little neater. And, but that's, that could be a thousand dollars, you know, whereas the cabana booth thing with moving blankets in a frame, that's $200. So that's another option. And that kind of, those solutions are great because they're collapsible. So I've had people that did that in their New York apartment. Then they were traveling down South to be with family for a month and just threw it in the trunk and brought it with them. And they were up and running, you know, 10 minutes later when they got there. So that's pretty handy. And then Beyond that, if people have a closet that's small, uh, we've gotten very resourceful with putting like ceiling tracks in front of the closet and putting producer's choice blankets on a track that they can close around them and open the closet door. And then they can have their back in the closet facing outward into those, you know, that additional couple of feet they added to the closet with material, you know, come up with some pretty great sounding solutions that way. So this, it's just, you know, there's something for everybody. I've got people that in their apartment, the only space they could use was like a bit of a hallway on the way to the bathroom in their apartment. And there were doors on one side where the washer and dryer were, and the other side was a closet. And we went, great, open up all those doors. You're going to hang producer's choice blankets all around that area. And now you've got a, you know, five by four vocal booth <laughs> that just happens to be against your bathroom. But you design it in a way that people can take it down when they don't need it to be up. How many consults do you think you've done during this time? Oh, man. I I, I got to say it's about 1,800. What? Yeah. Since the beginning. That's incredible. It's been a lot. Because it kind of spread. Like, initially, it was like all my friends that were like, you know, the New York voice pool that I know well. And then I started getting calls from agents in LA, and they were referring their actors. And it's been, I've had a number of fairly well-known people that are like were in my webinars, and I didn't, they were using a different name. And then they booked me and it's like, oh, okay, hi, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> that's also interesting. Uh, but yeah, it's been pretty steady, you know, and I <laughs> I waited till the beginning of 2021 to add scheduling and payment option directly to my website. So the beginning of it was a disaster because I was trying to manually manage email requests and scheduling people and, uh, you know, live and learn. It's like, oh, all of this could be done for me if I upgrade my website. I didn't know that. People are still booking. You know, a lot of people will consult with me and then they move and then they need to check in again and do another evaluation. Right. Um, You know, some people had a closet somewhere and now they've moved to another place and they have to treat a new space. So I help them with that. So there's a lot of repeat people jumping around, you know. I did a consult. This is booth 2.0 or maybe even 3.0 at this point. And so, you know, why not just get a second set of years on it? The, someone who's an expert at this. And um, and it was great. It was so helpful because, again, like you've listened to now eight, literally 1,800 people in 1,800 spaces. So you've got, you know, so many options to give people, which is really incredible. Yeah, we, we find what works for you. You know, we, we kind of say, okay, you can do this, you can do that. You know, some people early on, I remember in the, my first webinars, it was like, 
you can solve it right away. You can get a prefab booth, Studio Bricks booth, you know, and some people just were like, boom, done. I'm busy. I don't want to mess around. I'm just going to get that. They're a blessing and a curse. You know, it's a nine, $10,000 solution, but they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one, one friend got one and got it all built in his place. And his wife walked up to the door and said, can you hear me? And he was like, shit. Yes, I hear you loud and clear, mm. <laughs> you know. Um, they're not perfect. And also they can, some of those prefab booths can be boxy as hell. You know, uh, it's an odd choice that all of those portable or, you know, movable booths are rectangles and squares because that's the acoustically worst thing you can do. So why there wasn't some more thought into, you know, a slanted ceiling or a, a more trapezoid shaped space to kind of break up those reflections better in the design process is beyond me. And the other thing that's problematic with all of this is, you know, I'm, I'm working on a cartoon series right now where we cast the whole thing post-COVID. And so I would say half the characters are coming into digital arts to record and the other half are at home. And in cartoons, when you're in a home booth, especially a closet, you know, if you need to shout, that's really a problem because you can't really back up anywhere and project. And if you do, you just immediately sound terrible. So we have to just like stay on mic, turn the volume way down, turn the gain down and do it that way because otherwise it's just really not pleasant. That's so funny you said slanted ceiling because that's the reason we couldn't get a studio bricks in here. We, and we did all the research and we were like, do you sell pieces of it? And they said, no, it comes as a thing. And that's the only way you can get it. And we were like, well, I guess we'll just recreate, you know, like some of the elements of it, but do it our own way. And um, that's funny because it has a slanted ceiling. Yeah. You know, early on in lockdown, I consulted with a few folks that were like converting attic spaces in their house. Uh, and a lot of the old houses have that, you know, slanted roof in the attic. You know, it's perfect. <laughs> it's, a, it's an acoustic godsend. So the other question that I always get or the the fear that always gets expressed is in terms of editing, what do we need to be doing when we're editing our auditions and sending them in? How liberal should we be or how conservative should we be with things like RX elements or EQ or compression or all these, again, like these buzzwords we hear on in the Facebook groups? I think, again, anxiety start to rise when we start talking about all of that. So um, help us. What can we what can we learn from you? Every every casting director has their own thing. I will tell you when I do a session, when I, you know, I'll see 40, 50 people in a day for an audition. I don't do anything to those voices. I will cut dead air off the top and the bottom and, you know, maybe relabel the file if I need to. Maybe if you did a read and it was a great read, but you screwed up the end, we'll do a quick pickup and I'll sew it on and, and you know, do that. But um, as a casting director, I'm not ever going to sit and clean up breaths for, you know, that many people. There's just not enough hours in a day. That's not what the clients are listening to. And it's it's not as bad as you think it is. Unless you took a, a five-second pause and a giant breath, and yeah, maybe I'll tighten that up for you just to save face. But it doesn't generally happen. Early on in lockdown, a, a talent agent I love, uh, represents a lot of big names, reached out to me and said, hey, I see you're teaching these classes, but please tell people to stop messing with their sound because what they're sending in is terrible. You know, I think I give the analogy, uh, a friend of mine works with plastic surgeons and said that business is booming because people are on camera all the time throughout lockdown. And so now everybody's like you know, doing their best to fix their face. Right. And I think that goes for voice actors. I think people that normally would audition a couple of times a week and, you know, show up for a booking a few times a month to do what they do. 
uh, and that's the extent of how much they'd be on mic. Now they've got it in their house 24-7, and they're doing more auditioning maybe and getting very hyper-focused on mouth noise or how they breathe. It's a very self-conscious thing, and I get it, but it's not as bad as you think. And in my own experience, the people that are over-processing actually ruin their sound. So when I do evaluations with people, I'll say, send me some raw sound. Don't do anything to it. And I had a guy recently who sent me his raw sound, and then he sent me something that one well-known uh, engineer uh, that offers stacks had done for him to kind of punch up his sound. And then another uh, version that another guy who's a voice actor that offers that service, both of those paled in comparison to his actual voice on the mic once we got placement sorted out. And what bothered me tr about that, and it's I'm not knocking anybody's work, but uh, neither of those people that he hired to create those stacks for his setup, and I hate that term so much, uh, said to him, the space is the problem. You know, you can't EQ and compress your way out of a bad space. Rather than pay somebody to do that, let's pay somebody to, to treat it acoustically and get you, get you better going in, right? So that's my feeling about it. Um, I don't think people should do much of anything. You know, if you have that much mouth noise for an audition, keep a green apple handy, make sure you're hydrated, uh, don't be drinking coffee while you're working, and you know, all those things that are going to make your mouth weird. If you're, if it's a problem, then fix it at the source. You know, it's good to know how to use these things in case you're doing the kind of work where. Uh, you need to clean it up and then send it to the client. But most directed commercials and certainly auditions, uh, I'm a big fan of leave it alone unless you really, really have to. And the same goes for noise. Like, you know, if your booth is noisy, then spend some money on getting your laptop out of the booth and a second monitor and a keyboard and a mouse to get that fixed going in because people do multiple passes of noise reduction and strip out the the quality of their voice. And it's it's bad, you know? Uh, and it's not stuff clients are going to really listen to. They're, they're, you know, a lot of these people are just playing it on their phone. They're making snap decisions. They, they like the sound of your voice 10 seconds in, great. Uh, if they don't hear what they want in five seconds, they're probably going to skip and go to the next. So don't obsess over editing breaths, in my opinion. Don't obsess over denoising, unless there's something really horrible going on. And at that point, you know, you might be asked to just come to the studio if it's that bad. I know um, Sound and Fury Casting out in California, they request that you don't do anything. They don't even want slates. They just want you to just send the file uh, and they will handle what they need to get to the client. They'll clean it up for you. Yeah, they're big. Uh, don't edit out your breaths because and so much of their stuff is really conversational and they um, they definitely don't want it to sound, you know, so choppy and, and unrealistic. Yeah. And that's that was one of my issues, too. Again, going pre-COVID, people would be at home recording on a bad mic in a bad space and then you, you could hear the editing go by because, mm. you know, you're not an engineer. You're not aware that every time you maybe all you were doing was cutting out a breath. But the ambient shift, the coming and going of all the background noise makes it sound to me like, how many takes did it take you to make a 30 second read? Because I just heard 10 edits go by, you know? Um, so you might've harmlessly been cleaning up breaths, but the net effect for me, the listener is, that's awful choppy. You know, if you can't make it through that, I'm a little concerned. Um, and it may, may not have been the case, but that's the impression. So I, I advise against... Uh, monkeying around and you might not hear what's really happening in your edits. So be careful. 
Yeah. And now with Source Connect, too, I mean, if I send you something that's so edited and overprocessed and then we get on a Source Connect, you're like, what is this? It's all different. So what's your biggest pet peeve as an engineer? Hmm. I think at this point, it's people that, and it's to no fault of their own, people that just don't realize that they're not set up this far into lockdown. You know, when I get on a casting session and first of all, my biggest pet peeve is be honest about your connectivity. Don't tell your agent you've got Source Connect if you're A, not set up for it, or B, sure you have it, but you're traveling right now and you're mm-hmm. auditioning from somewhere where you're not going to be able to use your Source Connect. Um, that's bit me a couple of times and it's really frustrating. So I, that's a big no-no for me, which is why now when I do casting, I'm I'm doing it on Source Connect. And I've had a couple of agents say, you're the only one that does that. I'm like, well, yeah, because there's we can't mess around here. You know, I'll know at the audition level if you're set up for it. And a lot of people aren't. They say they are. And Source Connect is not easy to set up. It is not like a plug and play, like a Zoom where you just put in your username and you're in. Like it is a process. Yeah. It's not not terrible and they do it for you. You know, they'll they'll set you all up, but it's not the kind of thing you can lie and then the night before just download it and have it. It doesn't quite work that way. And I've had people reach out from across the country and saying, I, can I ask a favor? I've got a job tomorrow. Can I just can I just log in with your Source Connect? I'm like, well, no, it doesn't work that way. There's this iLock licensing thing that's physical, like you need to be on that computer. Um, so it's it's a little tricky. So so that's a pet peeve. Uh, and also when I get people on audition, like I, sometimes I'll see them in their living room and I'll say, well, great. Do you want to get in your booth and let's let's start digging in? And like, oh, this is my setup. I'm like, well, that's not going to work, <laughs> you know. And then I usually follow it up with, okay, so let's move forward, but on the day, can you come to our booth if you book it? Because that setup is not going to work for broadcast. And they'll say, oh, well, no, I'm actually in LA right now, or I'm visiting family in Boulder, like whatever the deal is. Um, And then that's when I have to politely say, I can't read you because we're not booking another studio for this. And if you were here, you could come in, but there's no point in submitting. So thanks. Yeah, man, it goes, it just goes back to just being being honest. And I know, again, like, especially in lockdown and and during this time where maybe you didn't have a home studio or you're not comfortable with your home studio, it's so much easier to be like, yep, I've got everything you need. But I think we have to remember that you guys do this all day long. So what we, it's like, you know, you're trying to cheat on the test and the teacher's like, yeah, I know you're cheating on the test. You know, we, you, you can't, we can't get it past you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a tough one. And, you know, the voice actor community, it's really helpful. Everyone's got each other's back, but you sort of have to vet the information you're being given. Like I've seen, I've consulted again with, with so many people. Um, and a lot of people sometimes will put their head in their hands and be upset about what I'm telling them. I'm like, what's wrong? It's like, well, you know, so-and-so did this for me. And I, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, there are audio engineers that have been doing it for 30 some odd years. And then there are voice actors that have been doing it for a year. And who do you, who do you listen to? Who do you put your faith in? Um, and are you on Clubhouse? Because that's a shining example of this. Oh, you know, I, I am, but I, I was very hesitant about it. And then I was like, all right, let me see what this is all about. And I spent about three weeks being like gung ho. And I just, uh, I don't know. Burned out. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I still pop on because, you know, there's a group of people I love to chat with and it's fun. But but Clubhouse is a great example because 
there are people that would have you believe that they are, you know, experts in what they're doing and they may be good at what they're doing and they have really good intentions. But I've been in rooms there where like people are dispensing advice to newcomers. That's terrible advice. And even some big name voice actors with, with like huge credit lists on IMDb are like, oh, just go get yourself an Apogee hype mic and, you know, set it up in your living room. I'm like, what are you saying? Stop saying that, you know? Um, yeah, it's trouble. Um, so I guess the other side of, of what's your biggest pet peeve is how can we as voice actors be, you know, someone that you want to work with? How can we be the best teammate for you, the engineer? If you're going to be working from home, just make sure your setup is, you know, quote unquote, broadcast quality and and up to snuff. Make yourself uh, a path of least resistance for us to get to you. Uh, if we have to find your name on Source Connect, uh, maybe don't make it, you know, something so obscure and inside that we don't know who you are. It's it's easiest when there's your name attached so we can find you. <laughs> uh, that's one piece of advice. Um Make sure your agent really knows your capabilities. And uh, yeah, I mean, th those are the key things, you know, having that good sound, having that good booth. So I think I saw that you're producing demos now, too. Is that something new that you've taken on during this crazy time? It is, um, because I've heard a lot of bad demos and I don't like to sit still. So I had a few nights where I was like, oh, you know, somebody reached out and said, do you do it? And I used to do it early on. I had my own studio for nearly a decade back in the 90s into the early aughts. And, uh, you know, I used to use demo reels as a training ground for assistants to really get up to speed on, you know, getting commercial work done. So it was fun and been it a while. So somebody reached out uh, that I had first consulted with on a booth and the rest of it. And uh, it was so much fun doing it. Then someone else reached out. So now I have it on my website. You can actually do a demo reel. And I have bandwidth to do a couple a month for people. You know, there are companies that just do demo reels all day and I'm not that, you know, this is like, I'm doing for the people that reach out to me, what I do for my big ad agency clients. We're doing the, you talk to anyone that's done it with me, you'll know it's a process. It's not just like, read this, slap the music next. It's, you know, I put you through it. <laughs> you know, you, you'll do a lot of takes. We're going to go line by line if we have to, and we're going to beat that script out of you and, and get you something good. Uh, and it's fun. I really enjoy it. And, you know, good chop building exercise for all involved. Do you write the copy or do you pull it from anywhere? I have, you know, I've been doing this for so long that I'll, I'll just go through really old scripts, but sometimes we'll punch them up. Like uh, I just did a demo reel for someone where we had an old uh, Samsung spot, but the product in the spot like is so old, <laughs> you know, the copy was great. You know, ad copy is written a certain way. So I like to dig back into stuff written by advertising copywriters. But, you know, but so we'll change a product name uh, just to make it more current. Uh, there was one, you know, special request, someone I just did a reel for. Uh, she wanted something for TJ Maxx because they, they kind of go for a young, vibrant sound. I'm like, okay. And I just couldn't find anything that I liked. I didn't have anything current in my archives. I wasn't finding much on the website. I wrote a spot, you know, I just, I've been doing advertising for 30 some odd years now. I kind of know what's involved. And we made a real fun TJ Maxx spot for her reel out of thin air. Do you ever do pieces, like if somebody just needs, you know, one or two as opposed to a full demo? 
Uh, I can. Uh, I mean, I, I have a package set up where it's just sort of easy. But I had somebody reach out to me recently that had recorded their own e-learning reel. They just wanted sound effects, music, and mastering. So we just scale accordingly and, you know, find something that works. But yeah, someone just reached out to me too. Uh, they're looking to pull a few new spots they did and they want to make a reel. And that's something people have done. Like they, they may, they've booked a few jobs and then they want to add those in and maybe remove some of the fake spots from their original demo reel, really, you know, everything in between. I have a lot of established actors reach out and say, hey, here's my old reel. Here's four new spots I just did. Can you just cut together a new reel and pick the best bits? And they'll just, you know, I'll show them a couple of options and then just punch the whole thing up a little bit. Yeah, I think demos are such a another, you know, area of the industry that they're so expensive. You You want to do it right the first time. And then you make it and then you're like, do I like this? Do I want another spot on here? Yeah. Or, oh my God, I just booked this amazing thing and now what do I do with it? I, I don't feel, you know, when people don't feel confident with their own editing skills to kind of chop up what they have and add something new. So so that's good to know. You know, it needs to be mastered a certain way. If you want it to be believable. Uh, I hate bad demo reels. And, and sometimes it's as simple as... Somebody read copy like this, and every sentence goes like this, and then there's a piece of classical music, and then it's the same read again, and there's a piece of rock mm. music. Um, that's not a demo reel. That's you literally, you know, driving down the highway, flinging money out the window, and, you know, I hate to hear it. And it happens, and, you know, some people get burned that first time and learn their lesson and, and move on from there. But, yeah, I, I try to treat it really like like you're my client, like you're an ad agency, and we're going to make five commercials all the way through. And then we're going to send you off in the end with fully mixed, you know, complete commercials and a demo reel. So if you want to ever just put up on your social media, hey, here's a spot I did for McDonald's, you know, for my demo reel, but you want you want people to hear the whole spot, you know, um, you have that as opposed to just the reel. Because sometimes these spots are really funny, uh, but you can't fit it all on there. You can't put the whole spot. If you put every spot on the reel, the reel would be too long. Uh, so we pick the best moments to, to make the reel, but sometimes you want to you want to be able to show off your funny moments and the whole thing too. So, you know, to kind of wrap up, what's your biggest piece of advice to give to someone who's just starting out, your favorite piece of advice? Learn the craft first, right? If you're going to be a voice actor, study. There's so many great resources that'll cost nothing or very low, you know, low rate. Learn, learn, learn. I see a lot of people, they're brand new and their first questions are about booths and mics. And there's that's the last part of the, of the equation, you know. Don't do a demo reel, for example, until you've worked with someone enough and they give you their go ahead and say, yeah, you're ready. Because I've had people reaching out to me and they've never done a thing and they just bought a Blue Yeti and they want to book me for a demo reel. And I've had to say no, because it's like, you know, I'd rather see you train and then do it right, because this isn't going to get you anywhere. You have a, a, It's a journey. So start with the craft, really learn. It's not about having a good voice. It's about breathing. Uh, it's about mic technique. It's about acting. So have all that first. The mic is the last part. Well, this was awesome. Thank you so much for answering all of our uh, all of our collective questions of the the mysteries of sound. <laughs> <laughs> You're so welcome. I booked myself out and now I'm going to chill out before bed. It's a rare night for me. Thank goodness for people like Frank. 
the ins and outs of equipment and software and all things technical can get overwhelming, and I love his way of breaking everything down into simple terms that are easy to understand. And I get it, sound can be so frustrating because as Frank said, it's a game of inches. You really have to be patient and tweak little things here and there to get it just right. But once you do, uh, it's so satisfying. If you'd like to learn more about Frank, I'm linking his website and socials in the show notes, which you can find at my new podcast website, makingittothemic.com. I'll also put the links to some of my favorite blog posts that he's written about gear and how to schedule a consultation with him too. If you found this episode helpful, I'd really appreciate it if you could share it with a friend. And make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening now so you don't miss an episode. I promise that this season is going to have some really amazing and unexpected guests. Thank you so much for listening, and here's a little preview of next week's episode. You have to think about what you recognize as a natural, real conversation, something that's not performed. And then the difficult part is then taking that sort of energy and putting it together with something that is written out for you. That's next week on Making It to the Mic.